Hello and welcome to Plot Trick. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Tempting the Bride by Sherry Thomas. So this was published in 2012 and is the third in the Fitzhugh series. Um, we're Sherry Thomas stands, and I don't think that changes with this book, you guys. <laughs> nope, it does not change with this book. So this, this is might... the this is the third novel in the series, but we have already reviewed five actually works in the series. So there are also two novellas that we have read. And there's another novella in the series that we have not yet read that we will be reading. We will be reading it. And guys, it is intense. That is all I have to say about it. So the jacket. Helena Fitzhugh understands perfectly well that she would be ruined should her secret love affair be discovered. So when a rendezvous goes wrong and she is about to be caught in the act, it is with the greatest reluctance that she accepts help from David Hillsborough, Viscount Hastings, and elopes with him to save her reputation. Helena has despised David since they were children. The notorious rake has tormented her all her life. David, on the other hand, has always loved Helena, but his pride will never let him admit the secrets of his heart. A carriage accident the day after their elopement, however, robs Helena of her memory. The slate is wiped clean. At last, David dares to reveal his love, and she finds him both fascinating and desirable. But what will happen when her memory returns and she realizes she has fallen for a man she has sworn never to trust? This is a very accurate jacket. Minus one thing. Yes. They don't elope. They, yes, yes, they don't elope, but... Um, I don't mind that that wasn't revealed in the jacket. <laughs> it's not a spoiler. Like, they, they're not tricking the reader. They, like, tell people they've eloped, and the world thinks they eloped, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. It's, Other um, than that, very accurate. Very accurate, and I, I think you, I do think you really get a good idea of the book. Yeah, I, I think it's factual more than the spirit of the characters specifically. Their snark at one another is really funny in a way that this doesn't quite capture. Yes, and it's it's a good thing that it's funny because if it wasn't funny, oh my god, it would be mean. It's still mean, but like it's also funny. <laughs> it's still mean, but it's like mean in that in that funny way that you're like, ooh. And you can kind of convince yourselves that both of them are in on the joke, that they're trying to say the most outlandish and extreme thing possible right. and not taking it personally. Yes. I and know yes. that's like a bad excuse, but I, I think it's the spirit of the book. Yeah. No, I agree. So um, did we improve on the jacket? I'm not sure, but we did attempt a random number summary. The random number for this episode was 33. So uh, I'll go ahead and start. So here's, here's my 33-word summary. You finally tricked the woman you love but who hates you into marriage. Next step, get her to forget your lifetime campaign of harassment and fall in love with you. No, but literally. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Hatred. Erotic novels featuring thinly veiled versions of yourselves. Cheating lovers, amnesia, and children's tales are the obvious combination for convincing a woman who hates you for your bad behavior to marry you. So I think the common theme in both of our summaries is that we really focused on David. Yeah, I mean, I said cheating lovers which and amnesia, which was my reference to her. Yes, but I, I think... I think this is a, a unique, I think it's a unique novel. I think it's a very unique take on the amnesia romance, which is one of my least favorite tropes. But here I thought it was a really interesting take on it. Me too. And there's a lot of reasons, which I'm sure we'll delve into. But I think part of the reason we both focused on David or at least David's backstory in our random number summaries is Helena's backstory is pretty unsympathetic. That's also true. Like, I think David, in their past interactions with one another, treated her more poorly. Yeah. But I think she was a less likable character outside of their interactions with one another. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's, so let's do tropes really quickly so we can yes. get into it. But, yeah, big trope, amnesia, major trope. Enemies to lovers. Yeah. He is the epitome of a pining hero, but also the boys will be boys pining hero in that he he may be a pining hero, but he's also slept his way through London. Uh, and he is he's the one where they say, oh, well, when boys pick on you or when they tease you, it's because they like you. That's he's, David. He's a pigtail puller. Yep. But Except he doesn't he met her when he was like 17. He doesn't grow out of it. That's the issue. Yeah. Well, I guess 14, but either way, he's not, he's not like five on the playground with her. Nope. Nope. Um, so there's a pretty obvious collection of references to Beatrix Potter. And mm -hmm. this is not the first reference <laughs> where that's been the case. So true. at this point, it just seems like something I really notice. Um, he is, he has a daughter and he's creating stories for her and painting her murals and building her like a fantasy world that is basically Beatrix Potter. And her name is pretty clearly the short for Beatrix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we're also <laughs> thinking of Beatrix Hathaway. Yep. So, well, and also the guy in Suddenly You. So two Claypus books. Yep. They're all like more than none. It's kind of disturbing. <laughs> no, it's a trope. So the the other trope, there's another trope, and it's the best friend's little sister or bro, brother's best friend. You know, same yep. same difference. And I put I worded it as best friend's little sister because he's the one who was pining. Yep. I think if she'd been the one pining, I probably would have phrased it as brother's best friend. No, absolutely, it's it's so true. Um, in this book, there is a big announcement beaten by another big announcement. A character goes to tell somebody very important news and somebody else is already like, oh, thank God you're here. Our big news. It happens. This isn't just a romance trope. This is like a fiction no. trope in general. Yes. I thought it was really well done here because there's one announcement that's like very happy and one announcement that is tragic. <laughs> so it's yeah. the, it was good. It was good. It was 
I mean, look, this is Sherry Thomas. So it was like, it, it didn't make me cry, but I definitely had that feeling in my chest, like, oh God, you know? There was less angst here than I'm used to from her, my angst queen, and I didn't hate it. No, oh no, I don't, I, I don't hate it. And yet I still felt, she makes you feel things. Oh God, yeah. Like, maybe that's like a really dumb thing to say, but when you read a Sherry Thomas book, you just feel what the characters are feeling. So they are both sad, tragic orphans. We talked about her situation a lot in her siblings book. So like go back if you want to hear us dissect that to the first two books in this series. Uh, But he was the legitimate son of a peer's younger brother and an actress, but they didn't get along. But then his dad tragically died. So he lived with his mom till he was seven. And then she tragically died after giving away to her uncle. It's It's all very depressing. Extremely depressing. It's very sad, tragic orphan. So in her case, she's an orphan, but she had a loving family, etc. In his case, he's an orphan and had no one to rely on. Yeah. And by no one to rely on, you can read that as trope. He was raised by an abusive uncle because he was the heir. Mm-hmm. But um, she is a blue stocking heroine. In fact, she is owns her own publishing company, which was really fun. It's so much fun. It's also, I think, the career du jour for blue stocking heroines, something in journalism or publishing or being an author or... Hey, she's not a botanist, so... That's a scientist, though. Like, (laughs) they're botanists if they're scientists. That said, we have run a lot more with more diverse scientific achievement lately. Lately, Women in, like, you know, the arts or in a more, a a less training-required profession typically end up in the literary sphere. Yeah. Um, And he has a, so she has, as the book jacket says, a near-death experience. And that near-death experience is what finally gives him the courage to own up to his feelings for her publicly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and I had to throw in Gentleman Jackson's Get Fit Workout here. It's just for the sensitive aristocrat. Because, like, it, it they talk about David's uh-huh. form. Like, he looks, he is so sexy, you guys. Like, rippling physique. Like, She's not, she hates him and he gets undressed and she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like she's held his arms and she's like, wow, there's these biceps are firm or whatever. What does he do? How does he maintain this physique? There is no reference at all. There's not even a passing like he gets on a horse occasionally. <laughs> like they talked about his routine with his daughter. He walks, he walks, he takes long walks. And then the other thing that they refer to is that he, his stride, he prowls, he prowls around. So apparently. He takes long walks with a five-year-old. Those long walks like, with a five-year-old. Those aren't walks for exercise. Nope. <laughs> nope. So we, I have no idea what he does. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it too. But so, Amnesia Romance Lane, is this the best Amnesia Romance you've ever read? That I would classify as a romance novel? Yes. You know my feelings about The Snake, the Crocodile, and the Dog. Oh, yes. 
no, I'm sorry, but that's its own special, its yeah. own special <laughs> thing because I agree. I think it's one of my favorite Amelia Peabody. So I agree. Um, but that anyway, as a romance novel, this may be the best amnesia romance I have ever read. I would completely concur. So what's the deal with amnesia romance? Like most of them, for for some reason, I feel like it's usually the hero who loses his memory. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of different versions of it, right? There's like the while you were sleeping. <laughs> yes. Yes. Where he, the the hero or heroine wakes up and they're just told stuff that they have to take at face value. Right. And they don't know how true it is yeah Um, it's the amnesia plus fake relationship basically then there's the version where like a woman usually a woman finds a man wandering around with amnesia and like has no knowledge of his backstory or who he really is yes and there's they don't add on the fake relationship part but they fall in love without knowing that he does he have a wife at home you know he's they're all dukes like let's be honest is he an enemy spy i yeah i think my favorite one was a stephanie lawrence and it's in the brides what's a four book thing quartet the brides quartet and she finds this dude you know he washes up on her island she takes him back and she's like oh he can't remember anything and she's like hmm you know, I've had sex with a few guys and it wasn't great, but I'd like to have sex with someone else. I'd like to have sex with this guy and he won't remember anything in the morning. <laughs> so she's just like, amnesia's recurring? Like, once you're, if you have amnesia, you're in a permanent blackout? What the hell? It was Seven so hours. funny. Clean so up my funny. life from that moment anything works and does not count. Yeah, it was, it was oh. hilarious. So just that one... Is really stupid. Um, I I do still kind of count it though. Like anyway, but the rest of it is just like so super angsty. Well, you it's see. it's usually driven by ignorance, right? The conflict is driven by the obviously the amnesia's person lack of memory, but also the ignorance of that person or the people around them regarding their circumstances. Right, and that's not what happens here at all. Oh my gosh, I loved so much that he, so basically, this, I don't think this is much of a spoiler. He doesn't keep anything from her. Like, he tells her the absolute truth about everything, except for one tiny thing. Right, but so quick recap, because this is not spoilers, this is all in the previous books, and it actually might be worth it, given the way we're talking about this, to give some actual detail. Good point. So, um, David is her brother Fitz's best friend. He would come home with Fitz on school holidays because, as you mentioned, his family life sucked a whole bunch. He was in love with her. She had no idea. They picked at each other, went at each other's throats, had a very contentious relationship, as Meg Summary said, filled with sexual harassment. Um, they continued to just bite at each other for the rest of their adult lives. When they're, like, 22, she meets this guy, falls for him. He reveals that he's already got an understanding with another woman. And then follows through with it. So that's who she's been seducing in the background. And she's, at some point in the last five years during this guy's marriage, made the decision that they, they were still going to be together, but as Meg previously said, not have sex. So she's 
And David is the one who caught her. Yes. So the relationship in the first two books is even more strained than it had been previously because he told her family that she was behaving inappropriately and in what context. He didn't reveal the name of her paramour, but like everyone knew, come on. Yeah, yeah. So that not only are they have they always been sniping and not friends, but he is the person she views as responsible for like outing her attempt at happiness and thwarting her. Yep. So that's so when we say like what he tells her, he tells her that they hated each other. Yeah. He in fact he tells her more than she ever knew. So, like, she tells him about his past behavior. I was a total asshole, like this, that you were in love with someone else. Like, he tells her the whole thing. And then he's like, but I've been in love with you the whole time, which is the thing that he had been keeping from her before she lost her memory. Right. So, it basically was just amazing. I was like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I loved it. Yeah, I also... So, he's pretty I, I have so many things I want to say right now and they're all jumbled in my breath I want to talk about the fact that she's bald <laughs> for most of the book <laughs> I want to talk about the fact that not only does she have amnesia she's like physically been pretty beat up mm-hmm. and it seems like it mostly avoided her face so there's no like long-term scarring or tropes like that like anything that had to be stitched up was on her scalp which is why she is bald for most of the book but she's got these stitches and making facial expressions like hurts them <laughs> And I loved when he was like, when she's like, why haven't you hooked up with me yet? And he's like, I was waiting for you to like be into it. In my head, I'm like, or you were waiting for her to be able to move her face without pain? Like, come on, dude. Well, and he, but the thing is, she's like, you don't want to have sex with me because I'm all scarred and my hair is short and I have a black eye. And he's like, no, I would like fuck you no matter what you look like. I just, I appreciated her insecurities, but other than just like, oh my God, the feelings, I cannot imagine making out was physically comfortable for her. Yeah, you would think, but. So shit doesn't come into play here. Yeah. So she cannot get over her ex. She cannot get over him. And in fact, it made me so angry. (laughs) <laughs> in a good way and like Sherry Thomas is a good writer way right? but I just wanted to be like girlfriend you suck he sucks they they yeah 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 that whole relationship sucked I yeah it's it's rough and and yet she, like I could understand where everyone was coming from Which I thought was really interesting. Was it a choice I ever would have made? No. I think it was understandable up to a point. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with an amnesia story, getting your memories back in pieces becomes part of the narrative. And there were points where she would get memories back and revert to old patterns of behavior that I found really frustrating and stopped thinking it was understandable. I mean, it's an amnesia thing 
something else. And the so, second you say it's an amnesia thing, I recognize you've lost all credibility. But. No, I mean, that's, no, but that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's just something that if you read an amnesia romance, you have to be like, yep. Yeah, he just, he so clearly sucked, but you get how she missed that he sucked. Yes. I wish, okay, like, I'm trying to think of how to say this in a way that doesn't spoil it. She reacts really viscerally to finding out about her past behavior Mm -hmm. during the period of time where she doesn't have her memories. Right. And I would have been a little bit more interested in understanding how a girl who held those convictions became the woman carrying on as she was. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's the one piece I think was sort of missing here is I don't quite get how the person she was before she met him ended up in the situation she was in. And I think some of that just comes down to, this is a really short book. It is. It's very short. It's true. And that's, I, I also think you don't, you don't get a lot of character development from Helena because her character development is getting her memories back. Yeah. And you got a little bit more of her in the first two books, but she right. kind of sucked in those two. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's in a really difficult situation and I, I found myself feeling more sympathetic towards her than I thought that I would. I felt sympathetic towards certain things, like the degree to which she was babysat. Mm -hmm. I think it's so far from the way anyone in our society would treat a 27 year old woman that it was really easy to like be frustrated on her behalf for the way she was being babied and oppressed. But that, yeah. Ultimately, she was being baby because she was fucking up so bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was making very poor decisions. On the other hand, it really made me think about how these her choices, the choices she's made, were in a context that we never have to worry about. Right. Right? Like, it's, I don't have to worry that if my boyfriend married someone else, that he's stuck married to her forever. Right. You know, like that's just not, it's not something you have to worry about. And that's, you know, her, her first love married someone else for convenient reasons, which I mean, really that should have made her just break up with him. Like that's, that's, I think her biggest mistake there. But I, I think your, your point is right. Obviously like the social pressures on marriage have changed a lot in the last century. Plus, <laughs> right. but there are still people who, you know, end up dating a guy and then he marries someone else and then they're kids. So he feels like he can't leave. Like yeah. whenever there's an infidelity storyline, that's where I just, I don't buy it. Yeah. I never have. I never will. I don't care what context you try to give me. Like ultimately you either need to treat marriage like it matters or you decide not to. And a romance novel is always going to treat marriage like it matters. Right. And so the second somebody is sort of diminishing that. And this is the same problem I had to a degree with the second book in the series with her brother. Mm-hmm. Was like, I don't care what your reasons are. Like, I might have emotional empathy for you and needing to end it, but not in keeping going with it. Yeah. There, I mean, there are two, I think there are two very interesting things that we're looking at and that were annoying or, or not, you know, one or the other. And in Helena's case, she is a pining heroine, but she's pining for a man who's married to someone else. 
I think if she were pining and not acting, I might have liked it more. Well, yeah, but I mean, you get the feeling that it took her a long time to act on it. You know, like it wasn't the day after he got married, she was like, meet me in a hotel. It was like years after. And she was like, you know what? Like, I still am in love with him. He is still in love with me. Yeah. He and his wife are have been estranged since, you know, a month after they got married. Why shouldn't I gather you rosebuds while I may? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, like, and do this. So she's not only is she pining heroin, she also doesn't actually sleep with him. Mm-hmm. Whereas David, the pining hero who's been in love with Helena since like literally like she was his mold, has mm-hmm. slept with so many women. Yeah, so there are two different kinds of tragically pining heroes. There's the painfully celibate forever, and there's the sleeping through a string of women to try to forget you, and David is definitely mold number two. Oh, Definitely mold number two. So I'm just saying they both have made very poor decisions in their lives. So I, 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 I think she made very poor decisions, but I also found myself sympathizing with her more than I thought that I would. Um, so is David a total asshole? So we talked about this recently in the To Love and to Loathe by Martha mm-hmm. Waters that like this sniping relationship hiding really deep feelings is not something that is super prevalent in real life but is very very prevalent in literature yeah I think within the pantheon of sniping annoying heroes who just won't think about their feelings David's pretty dickish he's he's like such an asshole I mean oh my gosh I it helps that in the book itself in his relationship with Helena, he is not an asshole. Like there's one point in the book where he is um, after they get married, but before, you know, once they're married in quotation marks, he, he's just like a doting husband. And so I think because of that, I was like, Oh, he's not really an asshole. Sherry Thomas also tries to do that thing where like, Here's his tragic backstory to give you reasons he has to defend himself by lashing out. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it works to a greater or lesser extent for different people. For David, I don't know if it worked or not, but I will tell you that I forgave. I forgave that jerk. It's also interesting because I feel like in terms of his emotional growth, he's really cookie cutter as far mm-hmm. as this sniper sniping not sniper sniping (laughs) um like enemies to lovers romance hero in terms of his like emotional growth but he has all this extra depth in terms of who he is as a father and an artist and an author and it's almost like sherry thomas tried to redeem him not by showing his relationships with other people but by showing him as this like man of varied and sensitive interests Yes. yes. And I thought that was an interesting tactic. Yeah. It. I will tell you that it worked for me here. And I I think it's more Sherry Thomas than David. Yeah. I just really bought the heat between them. Yeah. Totally. And I think right. that's what worked for me more than anything else. So I don't... 
I don't know that I care that like he's the kind of pining guy who's that much of an asshole to her face, but paints this mural as an ode to her in the bedroom he hopes will one day be hers. Oh my God, Lane, I know. Now here's the thing. If he had been like a silent pining hero, I would I think I would I wouldn't even be asking myself, like, why why did I like David? You know, but the fact is he, oh, he had all <laughs> Yeah. You mean if he had been Ramsey, silently pining, doing everything for her, mm-hmm. living his life while dying inside? <laughs> yeah, I will say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ramsey's yeah. Walter Peabody Emerson is my one true love. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, so he's a dick. There's something that gets brought up. So. The, Sherry Thomas does a great job with making sure she's explicitly consenting and not in the dark about anything she needs to know before they start hooking up after her amnesia. And they bring it up later, but there's something that wasn't brought up that I thought was sort of interesting. And it's something, it's not a criticism of this book. When someone has amnesia and they wake up and they basically have regressed back to a prepubescent time. What does that say about a capacity to consent? Like, I know part of the reason teenagers and prepubescents are young beyond just age is like hormones and decision making and brain development. And there's like physiological things to go along with the youthfulness that impair consent. And obviously some of those physiological things, a 27 year old who woke up in her 14 year old mind wouldn't still be going through. But I, I like Sherry Thomas does a lot talking about consent from the sense of like, you're an amnesiac. What do you know? Do you have all the information you need to make a fully formed decision? But something I've never seen discussed and like, I'm kind of just interested in, I don't necessarily think it's a criticism is like, if you wake up and thinking you're 14, you know, I saw this comment with twilight all the time. Adults hooking up with children isn't gross because they look like adults. It's because they are adults. Edward Cullen is disgusting. In this case, she might look like an adult and he might know her as an adult, but is she mentally 14, at least for several of the early chapters? And I don't know the answer. I just think it's fascinating and something. That's that's a really interesting. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, actually. Um, That was not a part of the consent that I was worried about. And I think it's because you are in her head and she like, that's the last thing she can remember, but she's also like, I am obviously not that person, but you're right. If she feels like that, what does that mean? This is a very interesting question. I just, it's, it's something I've never seen an amnesia storyline, like fully explore. Right. Like uh, Amnesia storylines obviously explore who am I without my memories? Who am I without this context? Like all of that stuff. But how quickly are you mentally an adult if you wake up in your 14-year-old mind? Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of them don't regress when they have amnesia. I think a lot of them are just like, I just don't know who I am. But I know that I, like they'll say, how old are you? I'm 25. Like, you know what I mean? That didn't that not the case. Progress to the point of being a youth. Right. Like in The Snake, the Crocodile, and the Dog. This is my Amelia <laughs> shout out episode. I didn't, wasn't that true. That. that one, but he knew Emerson exactly regresses. 
Yeah, he regresses back before he met her. That's right. But he was a fully adult man. That's true. Yeah. No, but in in a lot of in a lot of romance novel amnesia in a lot of amnesia romances, mm-hmm. I would say that it's not that they regress back, but still know who they are. But in most amnesia romances, they don't know who they are at all. Right. But anyway. A very interesting point. Yes, it was a random thought yeah. I had. So uh, David has an illegitimate child. It was a huge part of how Sherry Thomas tried to make him be a sympathetic character. Because he's a great right. dad. So not only is he this patron saint of man acknowledging his Ill- illegitimate daughter, she's also clearly special needs of some kind. And he is spending a lot of his time, energy, and mental focus attempting to make her more comfortable and adapting his environment to suit her. So not only is he, like, going above and beyond the aristocrat with a by-blow, he's going above and beyond any parent with a child with this sort of difficulty in the era. Right. What'd you think of it? Uh, I... I don't usually love illegitimate children as a plot device. I did not, I didn't hate it here the way I could have. So I I will say I, I saw it more as a plot device and less as a, this is a character. So I will throw that in there. Yeah, I definitely viewed it as a plot device. And I think for me, like, I find kids in books annoying when they take up too much page time. This was a short book. Way too much of their bonding and his humanization was tried to be portrayed through this child for me. Yeah. I could have done with so much less of it. It was absolutely a plot device just meant to inform you of who he is and give them an excuse to be together when they weren't happy with one another for whatever reason. And to get them acting like a family earlier in the text. And like in the same way, I just don't like precocious kids in books most of the time. Tessa Dare's one with a dead doll being the exception. <laughs> the governess game. Yep. That's a good one. Governess game. You know what I meant. I knew exactly. <laughs> but, you know, all Friends episodes are all named the one with the one with. That is 100% how I think of everything. Um, but yeah, so I think this was not more annoying than any other annoying kid to me, but this was an annoying kid in a romance novel. So my main question with this book is, would they have ever actually fallen in love if she hadn't lost her memory and gotten to know him? I was thinking that the time. The entire time. I was thinking that the whole time. I don't know if it had to be amnesia, Mm -hmm. but I do think it was pretty clearly established that these two characters were both going to continue on their very rigid train tracks until something forced them off. I don't think they ever would have come to it just organically on their own with no external conflict. Well, and the thing is, too, that it's, it's all David's fault. Like, I don't want to say, Helen has mm-hmm. made some very poor choices, and, and you know, I'm not defending any of that. 
But I will say that the relationship between Helena and David was at its low point because of David, not because of Helena. And, yeah, and even, yes. And it's pretty obvious because of what happens later that he never would have changed his way of dealing with her. I mean, the only thing I'll say is we never see them interacting outside of memory in that period before he betrayed her affair to her family. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if they would have been more along the to love and loathe, to, yeah. lo to love and to loathe lines where it was like snarking, but sexual tension snarking. Yeah. Without. Some sort of uh, a certain interference. Like, I don't know. Like, it, I don't think it had to be amnesia. Maybe one day she would have finished the book. Right. Yeah. You know, she eventually would have figured out what other books he'd authored. She eventually, like, I'm not saying there was nothing but amnesia, but I, Cherry Thomas made it very clear these were two very stubborn people. And you're right. David is ultimately responsible for the fact that they've never had a good relationship. That said, the fact that it's gotten so bad is largely because she views him as like betraying her happiness in trying to stop her from, you know, continuing to yeah. fool around with a married guy. And like, while yes, he's interfering and you get why she's mad, as we established earlier, I have no sympathy for her where that yeah. is concerned. So I, I think it would have been interesting to read these same characters at a different point in their relationship. So yes. like maybe right after her first love got married if David had gone to her at that point and said you know tried to mend their relationship you know well and interestingly right around the time she met her first love would have been right around the time he knocked up his daughter's mom mm -hmm. and so I think that actually a lot of the minor criticisms I have of this book that would have fixed because it maybe would have shown how she became the kind of woman who would acquiesce to the current situation she's in it may have explained his philandering in the context of giving up on her and has made his daughter feel like less of a plot device. Yeah. But I think essentially these characters are so complex and interesting that that's why this book works, I think. Yeah. Do we talk about the erotic novel here or just leave it for sexiness? Well, let's leave it. We can leave it. But we will just say that David has written an erotic novel and illustrated an erotic novel. And he gave it to her as a, like, snide jab. But then he made a copy and he gives it to her again <laughs> in this book. He gave it to her in an earlier book. And guys, guys, we're going to talk about that in sexiness. No, we'll talk about it later. Um. Conflict warnings, trigger warnings, content warnings. What do we call it? Conflict. I like the warnings. conflict warnings. Conflict <laughs> warnings, guys. <laughs> they don't like each other. <laughs> so as you may have heard, Helena is the other woman for a married man. Yep. And David so. has an illegitimate daughter. Yep. And cool. David's. All, basically, all of David's interactions with Helena from the time they were 15 until now have been pretty much he was sexually harassing her. 
So that includes pinching her, groping her, um, saying really nasty things to her, like really gross stuff. And when he's not commenting on her body, he's asking, he's accusing her of being a lesbian and then asking her if he can watch her have sex with other women. Like it's, it goes way beyond the usual witty banter with these battle couple types. Like he's, and even like in their, one of the things I hated the most, it was in character, don't get me wrong, but um, on their wedding night when she gets mad at him, he lashes out by saying he's going to, like, basically force his staff to have sex with him. Yep. And that's when I say, like, he was definitely all talk, no action in this book. Yeah. Like, I don't, I never for a second as the reader thought that was something he would do. No. But the fact that even in the modern, in, like, the current text, he defaults to saying really vulgar things to upset her. Like, it just, it's never ending. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I would have hated, I would have hated this person too. And if anyone had said to me, oh, it's just because he likes you, I don't, I'm like, I don't care if that's how he treats women that he, exactly, Lane's like giving the double bird. <laughs> yeah, if that's how he treats someone that he likes, that's not someone I want to be with, you know. I'm also a little confused, and maybe this is where more backstory would have helped. Like, if I'm Fitz and hot sister, I don't know that I would have like tolerated that from my friend yeah Venetia Venetia thank you I was gonna say Veronica and I knew that wasn't it yeah Uh, but they clearly both adore him and have a great relationship with him and you see him treat them both very well in the Mm -hmm. earlier books but the things he says to her are clearly indicative of things he's comfortable saying right like I can't believe Venetia and Fitz never drew the line on him at some point and that wasn't in the text yeah, you would you would think, but they're they're really sympathetic towards him. Yeah, it's like it's night and day his behavior with them and his behavior with her. So and like just I can't believe they have never seen it or acknowledged it. Yeah, it's a very so it's, weird. I mean, it's pretty intense. And again, this is kudos to Sherry Thomas for making me like this guy. I have no defense other than Sherry Thomas is my queen and I stand. Yep. Um. So sexiness. Oh, guys. Yep. Guys. So as is usual with Sherry Thomas, there's a lot of sexual tension. So even when they hate each other and are sniping at each other, there's this like simmering sexual tension. He also coerces her into a few embraces. Yeah. Which I I have, again, no defense except Sherry Thomas wrote this. I liked it. Yeah. Um. But as we mentioned earlier, he wrote an erotic novel that he sends to her, and it's very thinly veiled doppelganger is the wrong word, but like stand-ins for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are passages from this book sprinkled throughout the text and descriptions of the drawings. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect that from Sherry Thomas. And spoiler alert, guys, the novella we haven't read yet that we will be reading is this erotic novel. Yep. And I I was like, I will read it. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, did Sherry Thomas write this? Meg and I have complained. I don't know if it was on air or to each other. And complaint is the wrong word. But when we first started reading Sherry Thomas books, we sort of had the impression she was an author who could build it up, but we didn't want to see try to execute 
the sex scenes. We thought like they fizzled out when there yeah. wasn't conflict that we like viewed her as a romance author, not an erotica author. Yeah. And this book just tips that over on its head. It's not, there's still a lot of fade to black. Yeah, there is. There's still a lot. Like, I wouldn't put this up there, this, the, the short story we will be reading. <laughs> Different story. I wouldn't put this up there with, like, the most explicit of romance authors, but it was way more explicit than I expect from Sherry Thomas. Yeah. And I, on a different level than earlier books in the series have been. Absolutely. I think this is the, this is the Sherry Thomas where I was like, oh, I was like, she can write sex. Like, before I was like, oh, she doesn't, we kind of assumed she just wasn't really interested in that part of the romance novel, which, okay, we still love you. That's fine. We still love you, Sherry. But when we read this, I was like, oh, oh, okay, so she can write it. She just chooses not to for some reason. Like, the buildup was not hotter than the execution here. Correct. That's, I think that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. So. How'd you feel about the blowjob? Because <laughs> apparently this is now a Ask Meg what she thinks about blowjobs podcast. Apparently I think this one was fine for me, apparently. I I think this one, it was, it was not just implicitly, but like explicitly uh, Helena taking power. And there was stated reciprocation. Correct. So there you go. So, so we can talk about, let's talk about the consent because we talked about consent as it refers to like the age, the mental age of the person. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's another part where, um, Helena does say that she couldn't consent because even though he told her about everything, he should have known how she would have felt. Basically. Yeah, I'm glad it was brought up. Yes. I think Sherry Thomas did the right thing by putting it in the text so that the the audience wasn't left wondering and was forced to, like, ultimately consider it. I definitely come down on the side of she was herself. She had all the necessary information. This isn't, like, inebriation or impaired decision-making. Right. She just didn't have specific memories. And, like, that's a relationship, right? Like, not to extrapolate and slippery slope, but I'm not saying they're totally comparable, but, like, I could go on a first date with somebody tomorrow, be sleeping with him by the end of the week, and I don't know everything he's ever done, and I don't get to find out that he cheated on a girlfriend 10 years ago and decide I didn't consent after all because I didn't have all the facts. Right. To, if she is, if we all agree she is mentally an adult, he is not actively lying to her about anything, and the amnesia does not count as impairment in terms of her decision-making in that it doesn't, like, lower her inhibitions or something— I don't feel like this is something that falls in the realms of she didn't give consent. Yeah. I would be totally open to hearing the other perspective. Yeah. No, I I think I agree with you. And I think I agree not only because he explained everything to her ahead of time, made made sure she knew intellectually what was going on, um, but also he wasn't trying to pressure her into having sex either. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, like that every single time they did anything, every time they, they kissed or they groped or anything, it was at her 
urging. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, there, there's a word I'm looking for here, but I can't think of it. So, yes, it was she is the one who started it, basically. Initiation? You know. Initiated it. Correct. <laughs> that would be the one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no. she initiated. <laughs> <laughs> that also works because I mean there are also times where she it's not just initiation. She goes in and she's like, You go stand over there, you know? <laughs> and then she ties him up without yep. asking explicitly for consent, though he is clearly giving it. Well, in that case, she didn't have to say, Do you want to do it? He's like, Are we gonna act out within the book? And she's like, Yeah, and he's like, Okay. <laughs> Oh my god, the fact that she got the music stand and like planned that out while having tea with his child killed me. It was hot, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe. Check us out around the internet on uh, Instagram at Plotris, Goodreads slash Plotris, and tell your friends. <laughs>